Right, I think it's recording sound ready to go. Let's do this. Hello and welcome to episode two of the Stelvio Chronicles. My name is Sean Smith, still. I haven't changed that by Depot in the last few weeks. Um, and I'm joined by the one that I know, not the only, because there are many of him, Sam Green. Hello, Sam. Good afternoon. Yeah, Sam's joining us here from, uh, well, I'm not I'm probably not allowed to say the brand name, but I will. It's not Skype, but it might be a Facebook alternative. So uh, if he drops out of the call at any point, I will press pause. There might be a gap, but, you know, we're just that good in the 21st century that we can... We can arrange that sort of thing to work. We've so got the technology. We have. We've literally got technology. I've got a sound recorder, which obviously is occurring because you can't see us. Um, Sam's on my Google Chromebook. Yeah, it can't, what could possibly go wrong? Right then. So, Sam, you are my good pal from university. We uh, met, what, nearly five years ago now? Uh, yeah, nearly. Yeah, it was uh, an awesome, well, it was an all right time. It was university. It was, it was cool. Make yeah. significantly worse by meeting Sean. Absolutely, you know, I joined your group, <laughs> your, your group by uh, about two or three months down the line. I thought, no, this shit's way too difficult. I'm going to go and do, do a different bit. Went to your group, and you're like, oh, who's this prick? Who? I, I just remember my first, my first, uh, my first comment was just saying how much I didn't like Fernando Alonso. That was my first line to any of you. And you're like, yeah, you can join our group. <laughs> and here we go. That's how we end up. And so, uh, long story short, we did university. And you went. You, you've been working for a lot of that time at Rye House, haven't you, Sam? Yeah, um, back there now doing coaching, the driver uh, driver development coaching. Yep, started off as just a normal marshal, run of the mill, just you know doing your nine till one, probably not nine till five, but your uh, your basic job while at university, earning your cash. Yeah, you've now moved your way up there to the uh, the young driver development coach, which means you yep. actually look after and tutor a range of people. On yeah, uh, on there. So, uh, come on, Sam. Let's let's hear about it. let's hear about Rye House. You let's hear about the driver coaching. Go. Yes, I um, mostly work with the young drivers. I work with a few seniors as well, mostly with the kids. Uh, it tends to start with the bambinos as the youngest. They can start learning to race from the age of four, uh, but once they're five is when they can actually start competing. So usually we find when they're five, they find their way to uh, to us. And then we progress them through and we coach them on their not only their racing lines and their technique, but also race craft and how to overtake and defend and how to pick out how you're going to pass people and things like that. And very, it's important things, see. very important things when uh, you're uh, actually trying to be a race driver. Yes, it very, very much is. Um, but when you... Uh, yeah, when they're learning that from such a young age, it's, it's astonishing to see the amount of insight a five-year-old can have when analysing the race he's just finished. Absolutely. Um, I think as you saw last weekend, Sean, when you came to watch our IKR and you met some of our Bambino drivers, they are they are fully-fledged little racing drivers. Yeah, well, I noticed that. I noticed that, um, I noticed that particularly with the, uh, the little Bambinos. They are just they're, they're, they're incredibly adept at knowing... They're very focused on what they had to do, how they were planning their race ahead of them, how they yeah. were sort of marking up their their rivals, I suppose, and how best to how they how best to probably beat them. If they couldn't beat them on pace, they beat them through tactics and similar. It was it was or just you know if they, if they were confident, they just think yeah I'll just go away and win the race. It was, <laughs> it, it was fantastic to see. Um, so yeah, you you teach literally a whole a whole specter spect other word spectrum spectrum of uh, age groups of drivers across what how many how many classes would you say Sam four 
Five? Uh, yeah, four classes. So we've got um, Bambino drivers, cadet drivers, which is slightly older. Uh, junior drivers, which is slightly older than that. And I've got, like I said, I work with a few seniors as well. Um, it tends to be the seniors we work with more on the corporate higher side or on our Senna Cup and our Lotus Cup. Mm-hmm. Um, our owner our owner drivers tend to have been doing it for far longer than I have. <laughs> uh, so they tend to know their stuff a bit more. Um, but some of our newer guys that are just coming to just learning the circuit or things like that, they need a bit of pointing in the right direction sometimes. So we, we help them out with that. So when I, was, when I was down, I suppose as this video goes live, it would have been two weeks ago, but either way, last week, um, I was down for the IKR Championship, which is uh, Ryan House's in-house championship class where um yeah yeah the bambi where we had the bambinos both the what they call the commas and the iamis the two different yeah. engine classes um same cart underneath just uh literally their their mechanicals really and the fact that the iamis had slick tires i noticed that was that was quite interesting. Uh, yes yeah it was the climbers using all weather tire yeah uh they then had the honda cadets and the senior rotaxes and the 177s which are, again same sort of idea just slightly different rule set I think it's yeah. just juice of weight, I think is the only difference. Yeah, so one seven seven is the heavy category. That's so right. it's hundred and seventy seven kilos is their race weight. Cool. And yeah, as I say, I, I arrived I think there's the article below, if everyone's listening to this video, the <laughs> article below, um basically you said I got there about eleven o'clock, they just finished their free practice session. Um and yeah, went through the day, went into qualifying. They were, <laughs> you, you often think that qualifying is quite tame in a racing series, but they they were jostling for position, you know, desperate for, yeah. to get. You know, there wasn't the case that much of hold back and wait for a gap because honestly, on a 40, forty second track like Rye House, there was there was no gap to have realistically. They had to just if they wanted to get a position on track, they had to overtake whoever was in front of them and uh, move ahead. It was amazing to watch. It was very fluid. And yeah, in the in vast majority of cases, you know, the, you, it wasn't watching novices, you know, trying to just dive bomb everyone. They were quite calculated in their moves. They were um, they were sizing them up. They were, they weren't making too many um, ridiculous passes. It was you know relatively clean from the outset. But uh, it was still either way. It was from a spectator standpoint, it was very interesting to watch. Um, you Sam, of course, had the uh, you were the um, what's what's the time I wrote down like five minutes ago? The um, observer or the Start line, Marshall. Yep. Go on then. What was, um, so what was your view, Sam? Yeah, so I was uh, up on the gantry all day in the baking heat, um, <laughs> burning to a crisp. Um, and I was essentially just observing uh, the racing through stadium and elbow, mostly, which is turn one and two. Um, and obviously starting the races. So I had the unenviable task of making sure the grids were formed properly checking with timing, checking with the marshals that we're all good to go, and then starting the race, and trying to spot as well if there's any jump starts in that. There were a few. Um, there was a few, more with the seniors. Um, yeah, there was a few in the Bambinos, but they don't tend to benefit as much. Um, I know uh, Kip Belosky suffered a little bit with his starts. He never he's, His reactions aren't quite as good as some of his competitors, so he tends to lose out slightly there. Um, but yeah, the the seniors were starting a bit too fast for most of the day. They kind of tried to because they do a rolling start. I should stress that they do a rolling start, <laughs> yeah, they so do. they come down the down the straight, um, and they have to wait till the, the acceleration line before they start racing. 
uh, and half the time they would just come out the final corner and boot it. Yeah, and that was leave the, the pack I was, was going to take you up on that. Yeah, the, the idea is to wait until they uh, are allowed to go, but that very much wasn't the case. They were just going, yeah, let's, they, they, were, they, were, they were eager. Let's say that. Let's be very fair. Yes, they were eager. They were very eager. Um, I think we had about four or five false starts on the seniors through the day. Um, yeah, probably throughout the day. I know he's certainly uh, Including the got them to well, stop and had a word with them. Both, we had seniors and 177s, we had to stop and say, this is getting silly, guys, come on. <laughs> uh, there, is a, there is in the regulations, actually, that if they can't get the race going or if there's a false start, i.e. the front two drivers, pole and second, go too early, uh, if they do that twice, they get moved to the back of the grid. I'm sure that that's very so, popular with those two when that happens. Yeah, they, they it's a, a standard rule, but... Um, one of those that they obviously they're aware of, but they try and push their luck with. Absolutely. Um, which is understandable. They are racing drivers, but um, they have to get the starts right. Otherwise, we're not happy and we stop them. At the end of the day, it's, it's, it's very much down to safety when it comes to that. There's there's reasons why they have the acceleration points and why they they should be going there. It's, it's so they, all the drivers behind can actually line up and be ready to go. It's so they're not going too quickly into turn one side by side. It's it's for the marshal safety as well because they're often right next to the track. Um, yeah, there is a number there. There's a number of reasons. I mean, um, last weekend we had, I think it was about 22 on the grid for seniors, and the maximum we can run for seniors is 35. So if we had 35, by the time the front drivers get to the acceleration line, the guys at the back of the grid are only just coming onto the straight. Mm. So that has to be taken into consideration. If they boot it straight out of the last corner, then they've got half a lap on the guys that are still coming out of the last corner, really. Yeah, it's, it, um, you see this at... Uh, it's, it's kind of like a much more stringent... Well, it's meant to be a much more stringent version of what you see at the WEC, where basically they say, right, so long as the LMP1s are sort of in the right place, that's fine. <laughs> the GTs will sort themselves out. <laughs> um, but no, in karting, it's, it's because it's essentially the same class, um, same, same racing, you do need to have the same... Um, the same advantage given to everyone, right? It's, it's exactly. It's uh, it is is it fantastic to watch, especially with the seniors, you know, when they just booted it and they come flying past you, um, at about seventy miles an hour in the stadium. It was it was a spectacle. It, it's uh, it's not it's not it's not like an F one race where you'll you'll see them stamp on the brakes or, um, the the downforce will will keep them to go around the corner smoothly. They were they were just skidding around that that first corner. Yeah. And you could hear just all you could hear was tire tire squeal into turn one. It was fantastic. Um, very much when, when you got to the the junior levels like the Bambinos though, it was much more. It was they, they were just darting around the straight, trying trying to get because um, you could very much hold a line that was slightly off off the preferred line on um, on those mm. those cars because they they just because they are so much lighter. They're no, they're not skidding as much. They haven't got as much um, what's the word lateral force coming through the corner. Because the drivers obviously aren't as heavy, being what about seven, eight, nine years old. Yeah. Um, it, those carts were very, very much glued to the ground, um, and it was down to the the drivers' perception and their 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 balls really to to, to get through uh, to get sure. through, to get through a um, through a gap. Um, so what was we going to go on to? I was going to go on to yes, yeah, so the types of carts we had. Um, basically, the Bambinos, which are tiny, tiny go carts there. When you see one, you think, oh, it's just a little toy. So, so you put it in your pocket, take home. Um, but it's not. When you see them on track, they're 
pretty quick bits of kit, especially the the armies with their more race tuned engine. Mm. And um, so, what? How much difference is there between the different classes in terms of the actual the actual karting products? It's pretty much just a chassis and uh, and some tires, really, isn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, to a certain extent, especially with the kids, um, you would tend to find they can kind of jump in any chassis and be fairly similar to how they were. Obviously, the engine differs slightly. You can have a good engine, which, for example, in the Hondas, in the Honda Cadets, a good engine is maybe 5.5 horsepower, um, but a bad engine is 5.2. They are looking for tenths of horsepowers. And we, to, um, we, should, we should point out here, Sam, that although these numbers are pitiful, it's 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 very much a dedicated engine. They're they're stressed up with about what, how many thousand RPM? Twelve thousand RPM sometimes. Uh, I mean, well, I mean, in the Rotax, I can't engine. remember what the limit is for the Hondas, but I know for the seniors, a senior Rotax engine will have no problem revving to sixteen thousand. Yeah, but obviously that's two strokes, so it's slightly different. Well, all the power comes in one big lump, doesn't it? Yeah, it's all at the top. Um, and yeah, so that five horsepower in something that weighs... How much does a car weigh at that, that level? Uh, cadets race weight, I think. Cadets is 80 kilos. And that's including the driver? <laughs> including driver and his helmet and everything. So there you go. When you, when you have five horsepower per... Not very much at all. It, it, it equates yeah, to a pretty good. beefy amount. Yeah, I mean, the cadets are still doing nearly 60 mile an hour in the stadium. Hmm. Um so they are quick. They are really fast, yeah. especially when the drivers are eight years old sometimes. <laughs> That's all right. When you're eight years old, Sam, you have no fear, so it's not a problem. This is, this is true. Um, so, yeah, that's that's it. But the, when you get to the, the seniors, you have the big Rotax cars. Um, yeah. The D-set, they are basically mini race cars at the end of the day. They have yeah. they have the same... You can't, you can't go into a race just wing it, basically. You have to still set up the car properly. You have to... How yeah. thing actually working? I mean, how much detail goes into one of these cars on race day? Uh, so, well, a lot of drivers will have a certain setup that they use at different circuits, like you would in a normal race car. But I mean, on a on something like, for example, I had a Tony car a few years ago, <laughs> Tony car, <laughs> senior Rotax chassis, uh, and mine wasn't the most up to date. It was a few years old, but even that had. Uh, I think it was 12 different canvas settings uh, and you could adjust the caster or the ride height and the Ackerman and you can change things like changing the rear axle. You can get a thinner rear axle that allows more chassis flex mm -hmm. and you can take torsion bars in and out and change them to stiffen the chassis or more, make the chassis more flexible. Because there's no suspension, a lot of the handling characteristics are determined by that chassis flexing. So working out what works for you, as well as also adjusting things like tyre pressures, which is often done on the grid, uh, or on the dummy grid, because obviously that's still in the pit lane, um, is by far and away finding it is, is an art. Yeah. Most of the drivers will have their, their engines tuned by an in, a specific engine tuner. So a lot of the Hondas will take their engines to people like RPM race engines or Bonsoft. Um, or UFO to get their engines tuned, um, and then they kind of just they leave it. They won't play around with the carbing too much. But I know a lot of the seniors will adjust the carbing depending on the temperature, humidity, things like that. Um, 
with the two strokes you kind of have to a bit more because they're so fiddly but the four strokes you can kind of just put fuel in make it make sure it's got some oil and off you go yeah um we're we talking about the, um, the flexing there and the suspension i think what i noticed the more is probably the most visually impressive was when the carts came into hairpin long hairpin uh, yeah. the, they were cocking their rear wheels as they came through the corner yeah. um, I remember asking you at the time I was like so what have they got any suspension at all and you're like no it's, it's literally chassis flex that causes that to happen um, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, you just think so that whole that whole, um, the whole chassis is literally twisting itself um, it's something that is completely alien to a proper, a proper prospect race car um, it's it's a very different way of, of doing it but it seems very effective when they come through the corners they do. These cars do corner extremely quickly. Yeah, they are fearsome through the corners. A lot of them are um, more tyre limited than chassis limited, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Um, we've tried to get around that by using, uh, well, I'm not really sure how the how the compounds compare, but usually with Rotex, they use a Mojo tyre. Mojo is the tyre manufacturer. Uh, we're using Comet for RKR, which it tends to be favoured by the X30 series, which is a sort of another, it's an IAMI version of, uh, still a 125 two-stroke engine, but it's water-cooled, the same as Rotas, but made by a different manufacturer. Um, and the Comets uh, are quite a strange tyre. They last longer than a Mojo, which would suggest they're a harder compound. But they also offer more grip and more uh, linearity, if that's a word, mm-hmm. um, as they get hotter. So as the tyres warm up, they've got more more or less the same kind of grip as they have when they're cold. Um, equally, you do see on the warm-up laps, the Rotax drivers power sliding through some of the corners to try and heat the rear tyres up a bit more, yeah. um, which is also yeah. quite impressive to watch. It was, the, whole, the whole day was impressive to watch, me, Sam. Um... Yeah, I was with, when I was in the gantry, I was able to see the entire track. Um, not the gantry, sorry, the uh, race control. And it was, the, you, know, you could literally just, just by twisting your head around, you could see literally what everyone was doing. All the, well, there were plenty of crashes, uh, but all the good overtakes, all the close, there was close wheels where we were racing in every single class, as I think it's quite obvious when I write the article, I've written the article down below. Has Sam gone? Has Sam gone? I'm going to pause this quickly. And I think we have Sam back. Do we have Sam back? Yes. Yes, back. he's back. He's back, everyone. Don't worry. This is the most professional podcast we've ever done in my life. Of all, <laughs> of all three of them I've done. Um, anyway, we were yeah, basically saying that um, the whole day was exciting through the entire day of racing. Um, I'll say to anyone who, who has, a, has a free Sunday, if you can find a parking space, feel free to go down to the right house. It is fantastic to go down there. But... Um, we're going to say something. Yeah, with your young driver development program, obviously we have the the juniors and the bambinos, the two sort of baby classes, and yeah. um, those they're very much the, uh, the the most grassroots level of motorsport there is. Um, when Absolutely. they and they're, they're sort of they're finding their, their way, they're showing their skills. They're part. Some of them are part of teams already, um, which can yeah. progress them up through the karting ranks. But one of the bigger issues is obviously when when they want to take that step to proper car racing. Um, that can obviously be, as I'm sure we know, extremely expensive to to get through. So, I mean, how how do how many how many successful drivers have you had through through your particular coaching? Have any of them actually gone on to proper kart racing yet, or is this um, 
and not so much yet. I've only I've only been doing it a couple of years. So yeah. I've got. Um, it wasn't really. It's not really a driver I've worked with specifically, but it is a driver that I knew of when I was first starting as a marshal. Uh, he was racing in the Honda Cadets at the time. His name was Ben Kasperzak, uh, and he's just this year uh, gone on to racing junior saloon cars in a Citroen Saxo. Mm-hmm. Um, so he has basically gone from Honda Cadets at the age of 13. I think he's had a year off, and he's now racing cars at the age of 14. Yeah. Um, and obviously that is a lot of it is self-funded. Mm-hmm. Luckily for him, he's got uh, some financial backing. But he's also had to find a lot of sponsors to help him to prepare the car, to run the car. He runs with a team um, that help him with the preparation. And then he uh, basically can just jump in and drive. But that is probably the only driver I know of. Other than perhaps, uh, you might know, I know you're a fan of the Toke package. Uh, you might know Super Green Racing in the Genesis. Uh, ben Green. Yep. No relation uh, to you. Ginetta Super Cup last year. He used to race at Wright uh, in our endurance series in Pro Car, but he came to the sport quite late. He actually didn't. He was still. He was racing senior classes of karting and then kind of went straight from karting into Ginetta's, which is obviously a bit different. It's yeah. not necessarily how it would be done normally, but equally, uh, drivers can find sponsors and this helps them out. I know. Um, for example, as you probably saw when you came down, um, Jacob Ashcroft in the uh, Iami Bambinos, he's sponsored by Laser Tools and their touring car team. Yep. So yeah. he's got the backing there. Um, I know that, uh, for example, again, another driver I haven't personally worked with, but that I know of and I've seen at the circuit and used to run for CER, uh, who you met at the weekend as well in Honda Cadets, he... Uh, Harry Thompson, very, very talented young driver, has just been picked up by Red Bull's Young Driver program. Nice. He's now got enough funding to do whatever he wants. Um, <laughs> he's doing um, he's doing Euros. Actually, he's at PFI this weekend racing in the Euros. Um, so I think he's in the o, uh, the OK class. Not not um, the good class. No. No. Uh, okay I don't know class. what it's called. I don't know why it's called the OK class, but it's, that's what it's called. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's that's what um, that's the way you have to do it. You have to find the sponsors, and all of these young drivers are essentially uh, their own best advertising. Yeah, that's why. If they can get jobs, then people will support them. Yeah, that's why I sort of picked up on most when I was uh, down at CER. Is that the drivers themselves are they're extremely mature in terms of when, yeah. when, when, when you talk to them, they they're not. Sure, they, I mean, sure, they, when they're with their, their mates, they're little, still little kids, they're messing around, they're, they're having fun. But as soon as you go into, you know, you, they spotted me with my media stuff on, um, or when they talk to anyone, they, they go into complete um, interview mode. It's it's very, very impressive. They came across mm. really, really well. Um, when I was speaking to Jamal and um, Kit, you know, both of them were incredibly grown up for their age into when, when they're speaking to me. Um, yeah. I think that uh, with that kind of mentality, those those two drivers in particular could be very easily um, the sort of guys you could see in single seaters in the next ten years if they if they found the correct sponsorship if they because if anyone anyone speaks to them will be very impressed with what they what they're able to, to convey in a conversation they were very very mature kids um, 
but no, it is very much a case of yeah. I don't I don't know how much you teach them in terms of uh, in terms of their their, their media skills or anything like that. If it's mainly just the racing side. But, uh, we tend to focus obviously more on the racing side because yeah. the the way I look at it is um, results speak for themselves. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Which makes it even more impressive. That, actually. It makes it even more impressive then because um, you know they, if they've got those skills without necessarily proper tuition as such, that's 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 very much a whole package kind of deal with them. If they've got the race craft they're learning from you, and they've got the yeah. the mentality and the, the the skills essentially to hold a proper conversation. And you know, be be what I would consider good drivers for sponsors in terms of their their brand image, in terms of how they can convey themselves. You know, I think yeah. I think these young drivers are very they have potential definitely to to go on to good strong careers. I, I would agree, and a lot of our drivers um, are very much in in that mindset of when they are aware of who they're speaking to um, and it's not just their friend or me or one of the coaches they are very very aware of helping themselves um, to get where they need to get and if that includes the um, if that includes speaking to sponsors or certain media people like like you were saying then that is exactly what is going to happen we had um, at the end of the last Formula 1 season uh, when Hamilton won his fourth title, we had a, quite a lot of media people down at the circuit. Obviously, he was a local lad for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, we, his first race was at Rye House. Um, <clears throat> so a lot of our young drivers look up to him, and they came down to meet a lot of the young drivers. So we had a few guys from CER come down um, to dazzle the ITV film crew. Uh, and he went out on the, on the news. We had it on in the office for the drivers to watch because it went out almost live. Um, it was brilliant. They yeah. they all did really, really well. They weren't, because uh, obviously it was national television. It was going to be watched by millions of people. They were cool. They were calm. Yeah. They just said what they, they answered the questions. And then they, we put them out on the track and they did their thing and they were spectacular. Yeah. It was brilliant. Absolutely. Couldn't have been. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, in terms of the experience I had, that's exactly how I would describe them. Um, and it should must be said that Rye House has had successful F1 drivers, you know, grace its track yeah, before. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Hamilton, obviously. There's also been Jensen Button, Anthony Davidson have both been involved with Rye House in one stage or another. Yeah. Um, there is potential that if you if you can get the break, as it were, you get and you prove yourself on track, you're able to show your skills in all areas. These drivers could literally be F1 world champions one day, but not not for another ten years due to the FIA super license. But, they, but you know that we could be ones to watch. It's, it's a brilliant a brilliant day for me, um, and yeah, it's great for you. You get to see these guys every every week. That's why I, I see these guys week in week out, and it's um, it's it's really it's quite gratifying to see them progressing as well. Yeah, one of the drivers. Um, who uh, didn't do as well as he normally does, actually, when you came down. Young Lewis Islin in the Honda Cadet class now. I spent a good six months coaching him right at the beginning when he was first learning how to drive Bambino. Um, and then he went on and he was very, very successful in the Bambino class. He's now slightly older. He's moved up into the Honda Cadet. And he's doing very well in that as well. Um, obviously, was, it's a completely different discipline now. Was he the one who, <laughs> um, who missed qualifying? <laughs> No, uh, no. I'm trying to think. He, 
I think he had a shunt. It was either in qualifying or possibly even practice three. Yeah. And it kind of ended his day. Hmm. Um, I can't remember now. I, I can't remember what was, happened. I remember one, he had yeah. a shunt. I can't remember what session it was in, though. I'll have to look it up. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was certainly one of the earlier sessions. It was either the end of practice, maybe even heat one. But uh, quite often he's sort of our top-ranked novice. He's pushing for podiums already. He's only been doing cadet racing for three or four months now. Mm -hmm. um, although at the, at the end of last season, while he was still racing Bambinos, he was practicing in a cadet car. So he was on race day, still a Bambino, but on practice sessions, he was in the Honda Cadets, learning the craft, learning the carts, trying to find the differences. It was quite funny. The first time, uh, the first time I ever saw him go out in a Honda Cadet, um, he was straight away, he was sort of, full throttle down the straights, he was carrying speed through the corners in the kind of way that the Bambinos do. Yeah. He came into the first hairpin, which as you know, Sean, is very, very tight, mm -hmm. uh, and kind of did the Bambino thing of just kind of turn in, didn't break, and just ended up spinning across the grass because he just didn't slow down enough. Um, but after that, <laughs> he, um, he found his way through. He's... He's now a very confident young driver. He knows his racecraft. Um, his overtaking is on another level. I, he, like when I was still coaching him, we towards the end of my coaching start to get into more racecraft and how to overtake and things like that. And he was pulling off overtakes that I didn't even see coming. Yeah. Like I would kind of leave half a gap for them to look at, and he would double me. He dummy the. The overtake, go the other side, and then I'd just be completely lost, and he'd be in front of me. And you I had no idea that. how he did it. And he's just a really, really good young driver. Um, Jamal is the same. Jamal's overtaking when he's on it is really good. Josh Patch has come on leaps and bounds uh, in the last few months. He's really found his feet, and he's super competitive now. And I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a top three this year in our championship. Mm -hmm. He's racing elsewhere as well at Wilton Mill. Um, which I think, although that's MSA racing, he is trying to dovetail the two because um, our, our series is non-affiliated to the MSA. So we run our own regulations, um, whereas at Wilton and at some other circuits, they run uh, MSA regs. So they have MSA accredited marshals and appeal system and things like that. Mm -hmm. We kind of just say like it or lump it. There's yeah. no appeal. If you don't like the decision, that's it. Um, and at the end of the day, that, that that's good for them because it can show them the different ranges of uh, of marshalling. It can show it can show them that if they're in a different series, the rules will be different. You'll get different results. It's a good learning process for all of them, I think, um, to have yeah. that very that ver that various um, those various decisions being made. Yeah, there's also there's a lot of um, with the MSA, you tend to get a lot of bureaucracy happening where drivers do appeal and you can't release a race result for like six months because <laughs> someone's appealing it and it's a bit long-winded and a bit annoying it's really um so we we opted out of that yeah um and run our own regs which are based off of msa for mostly for convenience it makes it um a lot fairer because if you've got a good car for msa racing you're still going to have a good car for our series it's just slightly different um, in terms of the fact that like we don't use blue flags mm -hmm. 
an MSA series may use blue flags. Some opt not to. It is the circuit's decision, but we tend to find uh, it promotes more overtaking. Yeah. If you haven't yeah. got the blue flags, and it improves those skills in younger drivers, the senior drivers, they should have those skills anyway if they're lapping people. Yeah. Um, I mean, so that's, we, that's yeah. also good because. It's, a, it's not all series that use blue flags either. Like IndyCar don't use blue flags when it comes to um, when you're first lapping someone, you don't have a blue flag. You've got to find your own way. It promotes it promotes discipline in all the drivers from those trying to overtake and lap people. It's it's a good, it's again, the fact that there's also standing starts and rolling starts. The whole karting ethos teaches you a range of different methods for different series yeah, that, you exactly. might, that you might end up going into. It's, it's overall, it's a fantastic experience, I think, for any young driver. Um, and yeah, that, that's what that, that gives us to our sort of last point, which is at Rye House you got the um, the new, I've completely forgot the name of it, the new the new championship you're starting. Um, what's it called? The one. Oh, our K1 stars. That's the one. Yes. The K1. I am so excited about K1. It is an absolutely brilliant idea. I'd love to claim it, but it wasn't my idea. <laughs> um, but essentially, K1 is going to bridge the gap between. Uh, when we have a lot, obviously we have a lot of kids come down and have a go on our carts um, in the in the rentals in the um, and they really enjoy it and they really want to take it seriously and get into it as a sport. Um, but the carts expensive; they are very very expensive. Even at the Bambino level, you're probably looking at towards a thousand pounds for a cart, which is a lot of money, and a lot of parents are put off by that, understandably. Um, so K1 is going to bridge that gap where the parents will pay £500 for six weeks of coaching. And then at the end of that six weeks, if the child's still interested, they get the opportunity to buy the car for that £500 discounted from the price, which mm-hmm. we think is going to make it about 450 quid. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that's an excellent way of bringing more drivers into the sport as well as finding uh, that bridge between rental karting and owner-driver karting, it will also give us a little bit, if we discover a driver, we can bring them on into our new team, into the K1 team, um, which is going to have its own class, so they'll only be racing as other K1 drivers, although the K1s are essentially Bambinos, there'll be a couple of differences, that means they won't quite be the same. Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> which is why we'll separate them out. But equally, the cars will then be, if they want to be, they can change those few bits back and we can enter them into the IKR Bambino Championship as well. Um, which, yeah, I, I just think it's a great idea. I'm really looking forward to it. It starts next month and we've we've put four courses out, all of have sold out. We've had to open more up. Um, it's proven quite popular and we haven't even started it yet so that's good i'm so, looking forward yeah, to it sounds fantastic mate and i'm sure uh, you'll, be, uh, you'll be tutoring all of them to the best of your ability and they'll be all we have a whole grid of f1 drivers by you know in the next 20 years uh, they'll all be green gp and uh rye house <laughs> <laughs> if everyone who doesn't know green gp was our was sam's little um rc racing team he had at university which weren't quite as good as ssr but um equally you know they were, they were, they're up there they were good they came was it Sixth, fifth, around there. You were fighting the top lot. I don't remember. I do remember having a debut win, though. Oh no, let's let's not talk about that. Let's not talk about what happened to me on debut that race. win. <laughs> yeah, I was My two first attempt at RC karting. Oh, it was fantastic. 
But um, either way, thank you very much, Sam, for for this one. No um, I'm sure I'll be, down, I'll, be, I'll be down at some point to watch the racing again. Um, and that's more or less it for episode two of the Stelvio Chronicles. Um, I want to say thank you to Sam. I want to say thank you to Rye House for both the podcast, which never were, the uh, the forgotten episodes, I suppose they're going to be called now. Um, I want to say thank you to everyone involved. And um, yeah, watch this space. Keep uh, keep on track with Rye House. Keep on. Tra- I'm sure Sam, you got uh, the Facebook page for Rye House. You have the live events and all news on there. So uh, yeah, yeah, everyone keep tuned to that. And uh, yeah, that that that'll more or less do it, I suppose. So yeah, I've been Sean Smith. I'm not going to stop doing that either. Sam Green, that's that's still your name. Thank you for that. Yeah. And uh, we'll see you next time, whenever that is, on the Stepford Chronicles. Cheers.